So um, let's see. This is uh, this is Friday, and I feel like I haven't seen Brent in forever, even though I was just with him last week. And this is the 39th episode of the Hot Isle. So welcome everybody to the Hot Isle again. Uh, I am Brian Carpenter, and with me, Brent Piani. Good morning. Good morning, Brent. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's uh, 10 o'clock over here. Uh, fine Friday after, or I guess morning, and uh, looking forward to the weekend. It's been it's been a hectic week. Yeah, you've been having fun. I saw you out there in Phoenix. So let's get to this thing because David is waiting patiently for us. Um, so with us this week, we have uh, David Estes from Morpheus Data. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. Awesome. How are you? Thanks for joining us, David. No problem. Glad to be here. So the goal of this show this week as we uh, speak with David is to kind of educate you on living in and running applications in a multi-cloud world, right? So it's we're not just homogenous necessarily. Uh, and there's a lot of things you have to tie together. And from what we can tell, and this is why we're here, is to kind of figure out what Morpheus thinks the problem is and how Morpheus plans to solve it for people, uh, including both po you know public and private cloud type experiences or hybrid or whatever we want to call it. Uh, we don't even have to call it a cloud. Maybe Morpheus has a different name for it. They've uh, you know, they've already got some, some godlike names for their products, so maybe they think of other things for, for how a cloud is named. So, uh, David, why don't you tell us, what exactly is it, um, what is Morpheus Data real quick in, in like the elevator pitch? Sure, Morpheus is a cloud application management platform. And what that means at a top level is it provides orchestration across all your different clouds, both public and private, while at the same time providing features on top of that, things that you commonly need while orchestrating those types of environments, things like backups, logging, monitoring, um, provisioning services and deployment services, all in one shot. Okay, so cool, Dave. Uh, so we're going to definitely dive into the product space and uh, learn a bit more about that. But first of all, tell us kind of what you do at Morpheus Data today and, and how you how you came to be. Sure. So uh, me, myself, I'm actually the vice president of engineering at Morpheus. Uh, I've been working on Morpheus for several years now. Um, what I do there is I actually do a lot of the software architecture uh, behind Morpheus, so a lot of the development and things like that. I've actually kind of segued into a, a sales engineering role where I do a lot of the demos. Um, so I jump around a lot, travel a little bit, and do customer installs and things like that. And from a from a startup world, it's uh, kind of one of those things where you have to wear a lot of hats in order to make this thing go. Is that you, you'd agree there? Oh yeah, definitely. We have a lot of people. We I think we're about up to 20, 25 people now, but we still have a lot of people that wear many hats as we progress through this. And so this thing, from our research, helped me here, but it looks like. Um, on top of being part of Morpheus Data, you're also part of Bertram Capital. Is that correct? Yep. So, so there's a go ahead. There's a story behind that. So Morpheus was actually built out of um, our Bertram Labs division at Bertram Capital, and what that is is uh, typically Bertram Capital buys and sells portfolio companies, and they decided they needed a consulting arm to help facilitate technology needs as they move these companies back and forth. That's kind of the common uh, boost to a company when they buy it. They can uh, bring people in, assess what they need, and uh, turn that company around. So in that type of situation, we run into a lot of different cloud environments, a lot of different infrastructures, and we get pulled in to help them kind of clean that stuff up. And so we started developing tools internally to help us keep track of it because you got so many companies you're running around between clouds. You need a way to just keep yourself sane. Uh, so Morpheus was actually built out of a need. Um, and then probably about a year and a half ago, we started getting feedback from our profile, uh, portfolio company saying this was better uh, than what existed out there today. 
And so we decided to uh, invest some time and, and people into actually dedicating it and making it a commercial product. So why didn't, I mean, specifically, you know, if you're Bertram Capital and even Bertram Labs and you're helping your portfolio companies kind of aggregate things or get onto your platforms or move to more efficient platforms or whatever it is the choice was, out of all the things that are out on the market, uh, what is it that made the labs go, we've got to build this thing ourselves because there's nothing out there that we can buy that does this already? Was it, uh, was the, was the, did you actually go survey the landscape or did it just seem like something fun to do or where, where did that challenge start from? Uh, you know, it depends on the sections of Morpheus. If we talk about logging, monitoring, and backups, those were actually separate projects built by separate teams that were brought together. Um, so depending on what we're talking about there, yes, we, we did survey the market in a lot of cases. Uh, one of them, like the backup module, was a fun project on the side that we pulled in, and it kind of brought pieces together. Um, but yeah, back then, there wasn't really any kind of product that existed out there. Now they're they're starting to pop up. You've seen things like uh, Clicker is one of them that's been around, and a few other different kind of cloud orchestration tools that have kind of started showing up or moving back and forth. And so there's also, uh, I mean, there's a concept, right? Everybody seems to talk about this. If you're going to go start a startup today, um, wouldn't you just go operationalize the entire thing and go land it on Google Compute or Azure or Amazon or whoever, you know, whatever the flavor of IaaS or PaaS that's out there that you can go rent with your credit card to go start your startup that's working in a venture or, you know, incubator type experience. Why are they dragging hardware with them or why are they dragging platforms that they seem to run themselves like OpenShift and other things with them when they should just be going and running, theoretically running their credit card and just going and renting the cloud by the minute? Sure, and, and that actually varies. Some startups do very well on Amazon. I used to be a heavy Amazon cloud user, and in most cases, uh, it works great. Uh, the things we've actually seen is that we've actually seen people move back out of Amazon into on-premise clouds. A lot of times it's because of cost. Um, once you start scaling at a certain level, Amazon is actually more expensive. Um, and once you start getting into these uh, OpenShift or OpenStack type solutions, people move that stuff on-premise and to save money and things like that. So you kind of have a back and forth with cloud and on-premise still. I don't think it's a massive shift into the cloud like it used to be when the cloud was new. It's now kind of moving back and forth and people are kind of f trying to figure out what fits best in what scenario. Okay, very cool. So quickly, quickly I want to rewind though, Dave, uh, and, and find out a bit more kind of about your background, you know, just kind of looking at you on LinkedIn. Um, you're, you're kind of like a pure software developer. Uh, you've been doing it for quite some time, even to the point where you started your own software company. Um, so tell us kind of a, about that. What, what's kind of driven you into, into this world and, and what's kept you there? Sure. So I started programming actually when I was really young. My parents actually owned a software consulting company. Uh, so I got into it really young, probably when I was seven or eight. Um, then in college I went and did engineering and came back and I started working for a startup actually in Indianapolis and they were a rails heavy shop. So I did a lot of Ruby on rails there. Before that was Java. I worked at an accounting uh, software company there. Uh, so I had a lot of experience with Java, moved into the web stack with Rails. Um, and that one actually blew up really fast because it was back when iOS was new and you were releasing apps on the App Store and we had one get in like the top 15 at one point. Uh, so we had to learn cloud and learn how to scale that and understand those, those needs um, for the few years I was there. And it was a small startup, so that was where I was wearing a lot of hats. Um, so that's kind of what dragged me into it, and uh, I've loved it ever since. Very cool. So do you focus on anything today? I mean, I noticed that uh, you had some sort of hand in, in the Spud site 
management platform. Maybe a quick blibbit on that, but uh, I saw those. Ruby was sure. very highly focused, and, and, and I think it was Grails as well. Sure. So um, I started getting to open source contributions a lot, started going to meetups and, and talking just to you know kind of get out there and learn more and, and network with people. Um, so I actually released a plugin for Grails. It's now part of Grails Core. So I'm very involved in that community. Um, I'm actually speaking at a conference in the end of July with regards to the Groovy and Grails community as well. Um, it's about the CMS engine I built a while back uh, just to solve some of those needs uh, with modularity and, and something like WordPress where it takes so long to get going or it's it's a huge, bulky, slow CMS. You needed something faster. So that's where Spud came about. So I kind of jump around. Um, basically, if I see a, a hole in a platform that needs filled, uh, I try to do an open source solution for it if I can and get a team on board to help with that. So Very you, cool. Yeah, it looks like you're pretty you're you're pretty involved in the community. You've got a whole heck of a lot of stuff out there. I mean, your name pops up all over the place when you do a quick Google search of you. <laughs> yep, he's stalking me on Google. Yeah, absolutely. Brent is Brent is a pro at that. We could have a whole show about Brent uh, doxing people. He's really good at it. Um, even though most of it's public, anyways. So is the this? Did you happen to put Spud Site Management inside of uh, Morpheus, or are you you leveraging that as the CMS inside of Morpheus, or? You know, we're actually talking about doing that, actually adding it as a catalog option, but we haven't had time to go back and focus on Spud to bring it to that level yet, and we will eventually, probably. Um, but we do use it in our demos commonly, um, and it is actually under the covers inside of Morpheus and, and another one of our products. It's actually used to serve some of the content that's not really related to the application, but more like documentation about us or our marketing sites. Those are all Spud-based. So let's uh let's dig in a little bit into uh, Morpheus and what you guys are doing, what the team's doing, what you're trying to do. So again, originally it was built for your own use uh, and realized through feedback that it was something that a lot of people could use. Um, and you still there was I mean, certainly there was a point where you were like, okay, we could just use this for ourselves inside of Bertram Labs and be a much more powerful incubator for our startups. But where where did you guys kind of jump over into? we're going to sell this or we're going to leverage this and things like that. Where, where was the, the jump moment there? What caused that? Sure. So we started dabbling in the idea of offering some SaaS based offerings on the side, you know, just trying things out, seeing what stuck. Um, so we did that with a logging solution back in the day. I think that was one of our first ones we did. And then we did a, a backup solution. It's called BitCan. Uh, Happy apps is another one of our software as a service solutions, which is an uptime monitoring system. Um, and so we, we kind of saw those started sticking. And Morpheus, we even pushed out a SaaS-based offering, but we don't typically advertise it because it was just a beta. And it was more of a database as a service at the time in its original incarnation. Uh, but we started seeing some, some sway there. And a lot of people wanted that offering, though, on-premise, or they wanted full control of that if it's going to be controlling their infrastructure. They didn't want a SaaS-based offering. Uh, so we decided to actually go full force into that and uh, try it out, move it into production. And, and we started demoing it and got huge uh, raving feedback from people, especially at the beginning. Our portfolio companies told us that and then uh, started demoing it to a lot of companies. And it's just been growing like hotcakes. And so we, we got your elevator pitch on it. And again, it's not you're not you might have a SaaS out there, but you're not really focused on it. So if I come to Morpheus and, you know, even you come in my office and you're going to talk to me about it. First of all, how did I end up at Morpheus? What am I what am I searching for to have found it? Or what are you guys searching for as your primary customer? 
you know, vice versa. So if I'm out here, how do you find me as a customer and how am I finding you as somebody looking for trying to solve a problem? Sure. So, um, well, there's a couple answers to that. We do have multiple targets. Um, one big one right now that we're hitting is we're getting a lot of MSPs, a lot of enterprise customers. Um, a lot of people who are on OpenStack are actually really uh, starting to show up, and sometimes they're just finding us on Google and coming to our website. Um, a lot of it's also coming through referrals. Um, it depends on the situation. We have uh, a big thing right now with target customers. We have some people who say are stuck on Zen server and they want to move to Amazon or they want to move from different clouds. And we've started featuring a lot of migration-based tools for that. And that's pulled in a lot of customers and, and they've had a lot of luck with that and they really like that. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I noticed as we were digging through that uh, one of your customers is Ulta. I shop there a lot for my hair products. So I'm, a, <laughs> I'm glad to see that they're leveraging. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. I don't, I don't get it. Um, but uh, you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't joking. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, I really, I like that we're seeing things like that, but that's a, I mean, that's a pretty traditional enterprise business. And you mentioned MSPs and OpenStack, and I didn't read their their profile, but I did notice a couple of different, uh, uh, you know, traditional enterprises are leveraging this thing. Is it just simply, they've got sprawl, they've got these different things and they can't get their arms around it? Is it a, a lack of actual products out there? Is it a lack of resources? Or where do you typically see these successes from a customer perspective? Uh, yeah, and it, it kind of depends on the customer, right, and, and what scenario it is. In the enterprise world, um, one big thing that is really hitting home is this self-service portal to developers, um, giving them access to something where they can just provision whatever they want, experiment, try things out, um, move things to production. And it also gives IT control of their budget for, like, Amazon, rather than your developers going out and setting up their own Amazon account rather than requesting it from IT. Uh, so it helps pull in. Um, and reel in that kind of inventory and, and allows enterprises to keep track of that better and manage their resources better. So one of the questions I had was, you know, in, in doing research, um, I saw I saw the term PaaS, right? So platform as a service come up a bunch. Mm -hmm. So similar things like Cloud Foundry, Clicker. Um, where do you guys fall in that? Do you, are you guys defined as a PaaS or is it just some sort of functionality within I think we're more broadly defined than that. Uh, that's kind of why we came on the name CAMP or Cloud Application Management Platform because we can orchestrate infrastructure. So we've got IaaS-related features. We can provision databases and auto-scale them and all those features. So we've got database-as-a-service features. Uh, we've got deployment systems and things like that where you can do basic levels of deployment. So you've got pass-like features built in, but it's not a full pass. It's kind of set up so that you can design your apps um, without having to worry about Morpheus. So Morpheus is not one of those passes where you have to build your app dedicated to that pass, um, kind of like a Cloud Foundry app. You might have to do that or tie into the build tooling of Cloud Foundry. Um, but I don't think we compete with things like Cloud Foundry. I think Cloud Foundry actually can run on top of Morpheus or um, things of that nature. So very easy to do that and set that up. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So talk to us more about that. I guess, um, you know, when I initially saw PaaS and it kind of just kind of lumped into it. So talk to me about the where where those things can can intermingle and and live together and then where they would differentiate completely from one another right sure so um one i think one kind of shortcoming of cloud foundry and, and this is a, an example of PaaS is um, it takes a lot of vms to get set up and it's a it's a big investment to go into cloud foundry and it's it's a great tool uh, once you're set up and ready to go your teams are have can use it and it's a great tool but the problem with that comes with that is IT still has to maintain that platform. They have to 
scale it as they need to scale it. So say they need more databases, they have to go build the database services and tie into Cloud Foundry. Cloud Foundry doesn't automatically do that. Whereas something like Morpheus actually has those scaling features built in and scale actions where you can actually orchestrate provisioning of those uh, VMs or even bare metal instances with things like Pixie Boot and tie those in. So that's where kind of that infrastructure aspect and orchestrating your infrastructure ties into something like a pass. But at the same time, Morpheus tries to provide you everything out of the box you need to get going. If you're a startup and you don't have um, fancy load balancers, you don't have uh, the budget for something like Cloud Foundry, you can still use those built-in features of Morpheus and get a very nice solution and even grow out into something like Cloud Foundry later on or into a different type of backup service, monitoring service, et cetera. So it looks like from your uh, deployment, you have a lot of different deployment methodologies you've mentioned so far, right? So um, I, we see, you mentioned OpenStack, which uh, m you know probably is on-prem. It could also be off-prem. I don't know if, if they're exposing it bare metal, if Morpheus works on it versus exposing it through some sort of portal. Um, you, again, you mentioned basic bare metal. Um, it seems like you can also work inside of vSphere and you, you're welcome mm -hmm. to correct me anytime I fail here. That's correct. Um, and uh, I, I think those are the on-prem uh, experiences. So nothing nothing around Hyper-V, it appears? Nothing around KVM? Uh, actually, we did at Hyper-V last month. Uh, so Hyper-V is actually officially supported now. Okay. Um, tell KVM, your, we actually orchestrate as well. So there's there's some stories on that. Go ahead. Yeah, I would just tell your, uh, tell your I was going to say, tell your graphics team to update your uh, front front site. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're probably adding features so fast that the graphics team can't keep up. So we need to add them as part of your uh, your agile. They need a CI/CD pipeline for yes. their for their yeah, front end. But then yeah, and then maybe this is updated as well. But off-prem, uh, Amazon Web Services, uh, vCloud Air again, a VMware platform, Google Cloud platform, uh, Google Compute, uh, MetaCloud, which is more of uh, that's more of OpenStack run on your prem using uh, through Cisco, correct? So right. I saw you were yep. a Cisco partner, and then Azure, uh, and then DigitalOcean. Are there other off-prem experiences as well that are part of your kind of offerings? Uh, SoftLayer would be one of those as well. Okay. Uh, so we can actually orchestrate a lot in SoftLayer. Um, let me see what else I got on the list here. I think most of that document is actually accurate for the on-premise stuff or off-prem. Is that SoftLayer, is that actually like Bluemix and Bluebox, or is that further down in just traditional SoftLayer, you know, IaaS type experience? It's more traditional software, so we tie into the traditional software APIs. Um, we can do their bare metal services as well. Um, takes a little bit longer to provision a bare metal on their system, but you get you get the idea. So we just tie into those APIs and we let you use those services. Um, yeah, yeah, you guys should uh, holler. You should you guys should holler at uh, Blue Box and um, get get hooked in with them because yet another good thing, and it's uh, all running a lot of what software is doing these days. Yeah, it's, it's actually funny. One of the guys that works for us is actually friends with someone over at Blue Box, so we actually do know them. <laughs> so I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're giving me making sure the list was complete. Are there other options there? Yep. Uh, so the public cloud is Azure, DigitalOcean, Google, Software, vCloud Air, and Amazon. And your private cloud, we talked about uh, Azure Stacks in there, Hyper-V, Nutanix, uh, vSphere, ESXi, Zen Server, OpenStack, Metapod, and even VirtualBox or even VMware Fusion if you want to orchestrate locally. So, <laughs> For now, I'm not sure where Fusion is. I thought they uh, <laughs> I thought they kind of stopped working on it, but uh, maybe that was yeah. work, Workstation. I don't know the difference. Um, yeah. So, and that's interesting. You actually mentioned Nutanix, and so I'm going to dig into that a little bit just because I'm curious. 
What are uh-huh. you What are you adding to their platform that's different than what they offer traditionally out of the box? Sure. So uh, mostly we focus on the Nutanix Acropolis side of the platform right now. Um, so some things we provide out of the box are those services. For example, um, in Nutanix, I want a virtual machine, right? I can just say add a virtual machine and it'll provision that. In the Morpheus world, I can say I want that or I can say I want a MySQL server or I want a Postgres or I want a full sharded Mongo cluster. And it'll actually spin up all those VMs for you in one shot, link them all together, and even provide actions to scale that. So it provides those services on top. Um, some other nice features it provides on top of things like uh, vSphere, especially, is cloud in it. So there's, it kind of, we try to take all these different on-premise clouds and try to find the missing features and bring them all up to speed by uh, putting things on top, which is pretty handy. And I should mention we are very uh, container-focused as well. So there's a lot of Docker uh, containerization technology and capabilities built into Morpheus that are great even on top of Nutanix. Yeah, and that was actually my next question. Um, I we saw Docker on there and a couple other things like that. Um, what we what I didn't see, which we were kind of big fans of Brent and I specifically, are is um, Mesosphere, and so mm-hmm. we we like DCOS. We were we were really proud of them for uh, open sourcing it. Even um, is there something about DCO? We've noticed certain things don't necessarily work with it just based on how it was built. Is DCOS a target of yours, or are you you? Where, where are you at with yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a target of ours. It's just not been a, a, a priority yet because it's not been uh, – typically the way we do these things is if a customer requests a feature, we'll prioritize that and move it to the top. Uh, so Hyper-V was actually from a customer request. We need Hyper-V. Uh, Mesosphere has not actually come up yet, uh, surprisingly enough. I, we've had a few people ask about it. We said we can do it probably. We just haven't had a – just hasn't been on the priority list yet, but it's definitely coming. Interesting. And so those customers, are these now, is this part of your, where, where are you getting most of your feature requests from? From the, I guess, the externally sourced customer base? Or is it still from inside of your incubator and, and Bertram Labs and, and part of those, um, those companies that you're building from a, a venture perspective? Which, where do you see most of your features coming from? Uh, you know, used to, it was originally before we had very many customers, all us, like, what are our needs? What do we need to get uh, solved and, and put in here? Uh, I'd say lately, now that we've grown so much, we started getting that customer base in, in, in a rapid amount of time. Um, it's probably shifted to customer requests, um, but we still do our own internal features. Or a customer may request some type of feature that we already had planned, and we'll just move it up to the top of the list. Okay. So uh, I kind of want to uh, dig into the applications that uh, are targeted for the use with with Morpheus. So um, typically when I think of uh, platform as a service, right, which you're lumped into kind of uh, uh, the big picture, um, you know, we think of cloud native applications or platform three type. So you talked a lot about uh, things like, uh, you know, Mongo and Couch and, you know, I've looked through your, your, your catalog. Uh, so the in-memory databases, right? So usually those are associated with um, non-traditional, non-monolithic applications. Where, where do you guys sit? Obviously, uh, uh, cloud native stack, but is there traditional applications as well? So talk to us about that ecosystem. Yeah, so uh, we thought it was really important that we could fit into both types of stacks because you're going to be moving into like these enterprise customers who are not yet in that uh, microservices-based architecture. They still have a lot of monoliths and things like that. Um, so there was a focus to make sure, hey, whatever we design here, we shouldn't restrict them to do either microservices or monolithic or even legacy applications. Like, say, they want to spin up Windows servers and run some legacy applications on there. Uh, so 
from that perspective, Morpheus is non-restrictive in that sense, but it does provide tools on top to help with that. Um, it's got service discovery built in. There's console support built in. Um, so from a microservices perspective, you're good to go. Containerization, it actually handles auto-linking those containers for you. Um, lots of tie-ins there. Uh, but at the same time, we can also do monolithics, and we can do horizontal or vertical scaling as well. Okay. Uh, so I guess kind of along the container orchestration portion, um, are, are you, do you guys offer that, or do you link into others like Kubernetes or, or things like that? Uh, so Kubernetes is actually on the list. We actually offer the orchestration out of the box. So Morpheus has its built-in orchestration layers. It talks directly to Docker host and things like that and actually spins those things up handles failovers. Um, one really cool thing I guess I can throw out there that Morpheus does do is every container you provision, it actually creates logical volumes for every container. So your data is persisted. So if something goes down, you can snapshot that and move it over. Um, typically in the Docker world, that data is uh, non, non-persisted. non It's ephemeral. So that's kind of a cool thing we do. Yeah, very cool. You know, that's, I mean, obviously Brian and I work for EMC and, and uh, you know, one of the things that's, that's huge lately is, is container persistence. And, you know, we've gone at lengths to to talk about the product uh, that our EMC code team has developed, Rexray. And then even prior to that was um, Flocker, the Flocker plugin um, for, right, for cool. Docker containers. But I uh, know. So it's interesting to hear that Morpheus, <clears throat> excuse me, has that kind of built in as a as a feature. Is it your uh-huh. own? Is it your own plugin or did you leverage an open source plugin to get that those features and just offered across your platform? Uh, you know, it's not really a Docker plugin. It sits outside of that layer on top. So it's typically an external mount on the Docker host, and we orchestrate mounting that into the container during provisioning. Interesting. Um, so that's kind of how that works. So and that, let's uh, let's dig into this persistence and containers thing. We're going to get your opinion here, and it's uh, you're welcome to have your own, and it can be as, as uh, passionate as you want it to be. So <laughs> I, I've heard argument that um, the idea of persistence for things like containers and other things is kind of just... Um, you know, dragging the past with the future, it's not really all that necessary. Uh, and then you see other arguments that says that it might be necessary in certain environments where you're kind of mixing some legacy techniques with some modern techniques. Um, uh-huh. So where do, you, where do you, where does Morpheus stand? It could be your stance or Morpheus' stance. Where's your stance on this whole, I mean, you, you added it. Uh, where's your stance on the persistence thing? What do, you, what do you believe and what would you advise a customer? Okay, so sure. I think it's definitely necessary. Persistence is very important. I don't really consider that a legacy concept. Um, I know that, you know, you used to, when Amazon first came out, everything was ephemeral, right? You didn't even have persisted EBS volumes. So I think people realize that you actually do need that um, from the VM world, uh, from the, when cloud kind of became big. Uh, but, you know, one of the main reasons we need it is if you need to move a container and there's some temporary data, you, you do need to do that. Um, for example, some people in the Docker world will deploy their application as one container, right? The container itself, the version itself is the full application. We support that, but we also support those people who are still getting used to containers and the concepts of them. So uh, say I want to run a web server with uh, Rails or Tomcat or something like that, I can spin up a generic container and deploy into that container my application. And then that's a little different than packaging as a container, but I can utilize that just like any other application stack and literally progress further later on. So I think it helps that move um, to get people used to the concept of containers as well, from that legacy to the new. Um, but as well, uh, when you start talking about databases and containers, I think it's very important you start talking about that persistence in containers. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was was really interesting was the the call out to to backups in in your in the Morpheus world and so I was sitting there thinking I'm like 
all right, so if we think of traditional, or not traditional, cloud-native applications, right? If, if the app dies or it gets sick, right, you shoot it, and another one pops up in its place, no big deal. Um, so when I saw backups, I kind of raised an eyebrow, and uh, I'd, I'd love to uh, kind of understand what you mean by backups, what it applies to, and how you see people leveraging it in the Morpheus world. Okay, sure. So um, it depends on what tier of the application stack um, you're talking about. So if you're talking about web web tier, you're right. If a, if a container goes down, and you can just pop a new one back up. If you're talking about some uh, stacks like Mongo sharded clusters, if a few of them go down, you can just spin up new replicas, things like that. Uh, but at the same time, if you can take a snapshot of it and restore it, you can actually get that replica to recover a lot faster than if it had to start out fresh. So I think um, the mean time to recovery goes down when you start talking about backups. I think that's still a very important concept because you know you just got to have that. Um, did that answer your question? Yes, I think it's interesting. <laughs> I don't think that it's ever really come up in, in in this space, right? So I think we could we could probably apply it to things like MySQL, for instance. I think you can pretty easily right. understand that. But when you're talking about, um, um, you know, the, the couches, is Cassandra in your space at all? Yeah, Cassandra, Mongo, Elasticsearch. Um, let's see what else I can think of here. Uh, right. Rethink DBs in one Redis clustering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah. So those kind of things, I was like, oh yeah, they they just kind of do it on their own. So what's the need mm-hmm. for backups? But no, I if it's actually allowing you to spin up another instance faster based on a backup image, that's kind of interesting. I, I don't know exactly how they work and how they rebuild. So if it's faster, and I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yep. Sounds like we need another podcast on how things rebuild, Brent. <laughs> I believe you're yeah. correct. Let's put that on it's the list. It's especially important when you talk about cross-cloud and cross-regional um, database structures because you've got a limited pipe. So if you've got to spin up new replicas cross-region, that can be a big problem and take it's time. Interesting. Well, so kind of, I guess, along with that, um, so when you do a backup, are you telling it where you want it to live? So if you have multiple availability zones or you're multi-cloud, you're like, hey, have a backup, have it live in, you know, region one and region three and also on my uh, on-prem. Can right. you do something yep. like that? You can. Uh, Morpheus actually has built-in uh, API integrations with uh, CDNs, uh, S3 compatible, OpenStack Swift compatible, or NAS or SAN. And when you build up your backups and set those up, not only can you set schedules, but you can set where do I want to store this? Or um, should I client-side encrypt it? So when I do upload it to a public cloud, that data is secure and encrypted. So, And it'll do that in a streaming manner. That's, that's pretty. Really that's cool. pretty cool. We probably could have a whole call on how you're uh, securing that data. Um, but as you, so it's we've mentioned a bunch of things, right? So we've mentioned all the different types of deployment models. We've mentioned all the different types of applications, or at least a good set of the applications. You mentioned logging earlier, um, and even things like uh, CDN and some other things like that. Um, you, we we haven't quite touched the the monitoring, um, but really that's kind of the the gist of what we pulled pulled off and. This seems to all be in one big dashboard. So first, have we touched all the different features, but we, we seem to have not talked about monitoring yet, and we can, but are there any other features outside of monitoring that we haven't really touched just yet? Um, so yeah, so our monitoring system is mostly focused on uptime monitoring, but they're type aware. For example, if I spin up a MySQL, I'm not saying, hey, Docker, or hey, is, is Docker container online for MySQL? Is the VM or the process online? It's connecting to that database, running test queries, and getting some additional metrics out. And we have those for all the major database types. Um, we have web checks, things like that. But it's mostly focused on just 
is it up? Are my consumer traffic flowing on my message buses? Is the database responding? Things of that nature. Um, and you can add your own too. So if you rely on third-party APIs, you can organize those. Um, so from that perspective, uh, most of it's uptime, but we also have integrations with AppDynamics, New Relic, um, ServiceNow for uh, incident management and things of that nature all built in. We'll automatically orchestrate and set up your AppDynamics as we provision. And so how does, uh, so you, again, we've kind of hit those things. Mon so apps, the logging, the monitoring, which somewhat sounds like telemetry data a little bit. Do you also show utilization of the infrastructure or is that another tool that you kind of link into or how do people get that data? Uh, so yeah, so another cool thing we do is we do collect telemetry data and we, we stats collect that. Um, we store that actually with your logs data in Elasticsearch metrics uh, based stack, uh, which is pretty cool because that means Morpheus gives you an elk stack uh, basically built in. Uh, we even have some customers that even throw Kibana on top of it to get even more detail on it, which is pretty nifty. Um, so that's accessible through the APIs. There are public developer APIs. Um, we utilize that for our scaling systems, uh, for auto-scaling, threshold-based scaling. We can use that stuff. Um, and our monitoring system, to a point, will do alerts based on uh, certain things in that stats collection. And then you'll back it up for them. Um, you'll help them provision, as you said, dynamically scale. Have we missed mm -hmm. any of the other major categories of what you guys do? Uh, I think uh, we talked a little bit about logging. Uh, one thing I can say about logging is it's all syslog based, um, which is really nice. So if you've got Splunk, uh, we have Splunk integration, uh, Logarithm. Or if you want to set up your own forward rules, it's very easy to tie that into existing logging solutions or use what Morpheus has for you. Um, and there's a lot of cool features in there where you can actually track across services, uh, where the log flow is, and, and actually do advanced filters and searches on that. So. That's pretty. So, I mean, that's pretty cool, and that's a really uh, holistic ecosystem. Like it, uh, it sounds like a, a who's who of anything that you could really consume out there. And I'm sure there's other names that are not listed or just haven't been touched yet, and it's on the list of things to do. Yeah, How I can say for backups, we do have Veeam and Commvault in there as well. They're okay. We're fine with them. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So. On top of that though, now we have the idea of consuming this, right? So you have administrators and people who might touch this and consume this, and then you also have the actual customer or the end user or the developer or however you wanna, however they kind of start their journey into Morpheus. What is that consumption experience like? What's the operational experience like? Let's start with consumption. How do I, how do I, how do I consume this? Depending on which way I come in the door, how do I consume this thing? Okay, sure. So uh, it depends on what role you play in the organization, right? So if you're a developer, um, you just log in, you get this nice dashboard, and you can provision whatever you want uh, from the web or from a CLI. Um, it's just really tailored for that developer to, to kind of flow through the application. It's also very, uh, from the IT perspective, they can go to the infrastructure side, focus on setting up their clouds, organizing the role-based access control, just seeing that utilization their teams are using. Um, there's reporting in there from the um, other side of that. DevOps also has a lot of capabilities in there because there's a lot of public developer APIs where you can actually control that and script things off if you want to do that as well. So I think kind of a multiple targets there. It's very easy to install too. Yeah. So, and so now I'm in operations and I, mm -hmm. I run this thing or I help run this thing to make sure that my, my customers, that my startups, whatever they are, are happy what's my day job like? Okay. Uh, so typically <laughs> you don't have to do much. We've actually had some people say they're going to, we're going to put them out of a job, but <laughs> it's not true. Um, there's still a lot that has to happen. Um, uh, from a 
typical maintenance perspective in Morpheus, it's pretty stable. Um, it even has features where it can even scale out itself in some scenarios. So um, you just got to keep track of the monitoring. Um, I think that's the biggest key there. We sit outside of the data plane, so you're not doing much with, um, if, Morpheus, if Morpheus does go down, your IT teams are not like stressed out trying to get all their application services back online because they're up and going, they're healthy. Um, so your day-to-day -day is just kind of keeping track of what's going on in that environment, uh, maybe creating new users, uh, provisioning VMs, tearing them down, uh, things of that nature. Yeah, earlier, uh kind of stepping back, Brian said, you know, it's kind of a who's who. And immediately my mind said, it's a who's who in the zoo, which, okay, this is just a weird transition. But I said, <laughs> all right, I remember seeing uh, in your kind of marketplace was Zookeeper, Apache Zookeeper. And and when I think of that, I think of Hadoop. And and I've seen other, uh, you know, things like um, um, Mesosphere, for instance, can spin up Hadoop environments. Um is that something in your ecosystem that you can you can do for customers, or is it on the roadmap? Or talk to us about uh, Hadoop in Morpheus world. We actually do have Hadoop in here. <laughs> um, it's probably not on our website. Our catalog and the application itself is actually a little bit larger than what's advertised on the website. Um, there's probably close to 100 different application services you can pick from right out of the box. Um, so yes, we can spin up Hadoop. We can scale it for you and give you access to that in your application stacks. Uh, some other cool things we can do with that as well as I should mention this catalog you're seeing all these features that we handle and provision for you is not fixed you can create your own after the fact it's not a fixed catalog um, I think it's very important to mention and also in some cases there may be services in there that we provide that enterprise companies aren't ready to maintain yet or to keep track of um, so they can actually turn those off and sanction what people have access to in that catalog as well so I think there's a lot of control there so from a from a let's call it a traditional uh, a traditional application or IaaS type of thing, um, you know, if you think of vSphere, for instance, could you make your own widget to spin up a virtual machine with, you know, say SQL Server? Uh -huh. Yeah. So the way that works is um, there's a couple ways to do it. So we have application uh, templating where you actually mix and match these services and link them together. Uh, from the vSphere world, we can actually upload VMDK template images. So say you want to make a pre-canned SQL Server uh, VM that you want to use as a base. Um, you can set that up as a service offering, and then we can write scripts against that. Um, and in the case of Windows, we can do PowerShell scripts and all that stuff. We can add it to Active Directory. Um, we can handle that uh, DRS-related stuff in vSphere and all that for you as well. Okay, and would you still need the notion of like a blueprint uh, within vSphere? Or like vRealize automation? Mm -hmm. No, you wouldn't at all because it would be done by Morpheus and it's it's blueprint kind of structure. Which huh. It's not really a blueprint; it's an app template, is what we call that. Wow, very cool. Well, you know, I think I think we're intrigued by it. What's uh, what's the industry saying about it? What are what are not only your customers but uh, people out there uh, just in this in this space saying about Morpheus data and, and, and how it's helping? Sure, I mean they're loving it. Uh, so I guess. Few examples. Alta is actually one big Windows company, uh, so that's a lot of what uh, a lot of Windows going on there. They love they love the fact that it integrates well with Windows platforms. Um, open source platforms are doing well as well. Uh, we do get a lot of uh, positive feedback from our OpenStack customers because um, it provides a lot of, on top of what OpenStack provides at its core. So, if you're looking to provide an on-premise solution um, close to Amazon, or you don't want to go into Amazon but you want those services. It's great for that. We're getting a lot of feedback for being able to inventory existing things. Um, our managed service providers love it. Uh, that's probably a good area right now. 
Um, we've got several managed service providers that are offering it to their customers because we have white labeling and things like that. And it's they're, they're shocked at how easy it is to install. Uh, typically, on an ideal install, it's 15 minutes, and we can do a POC install, and then we can scale it out to high availability after the fact. So uh, pretty pretty handy from that perspective. So speaking of OpenStack, um, you integrate with OpenStack. Do you have the ability to lay out an OpenStack environment? Uh, technically, not yet. Uh, we've talked about it. We've actually inadvertently uh, in just our own personal use uh, and getting frustrated with an open stack going down. Uh, we've actually added things like dev stack provisioning in it where we'll spin up dev stack, um, things of that nature. But we haven't done a full open stack cluster build yet, even though it's technically completely possible with our blueprinting. Okay. So you talked about Ulta. Um, sifting through the website, I also saw a few other names that I knew personally. Trace3, they're an EMC partner and also one neck who's one of my customers. Um, so talk to us about what, what they're doing and maybe some of the others that are out there. Sure. Uh, so some of our reseller partners, I think uh, Trace3, one neck, uh, there's a few out in Chicago. Um, we're just kind of trying to, basically we're, we're doing everything channel-based as much as we can because we're a small company and we don't have the time to set up um, all those types of uh, sales staff and things like that. So we're, we are very channel-based and we've worked with these people, we've demoed to them, um, Trace3 has actually had several successful sales with us. Um, and so that's actually helped us out a lot. And uh, they've just been bringing it into places where other services simply don't work. Um, I'm not going to name which ones. <laughs> and then, I guess from that perspective, it really just, it's just helping us grow at a more rapid rate. And they're excited because they're, I don't know, their customers are happy. And it's, it's so far having successful installs. A lot of these tools people want this. It's like, you know, I guess the, the dream to be able to orchestrate everything in your environment from one, one pane of glass. Uh, but a lot of times it's very hard to integrate into uh, an existing culture of um, IT and DevOps and things like that. And so far, we've had a lot more success at not just going and doing the POC, but finishing it and getting it in production and things like that. Yeah, so let's go back to this. Uh, I we really appreciate that you're maybe you're saving somebody's reputation or whatever, but I am very curious when something else that is maybe existing or even has good strong brand might not be working for customers, and they go to pick something like this up that is frankly um, maybe lesser known, right? So when you do things like that, you're taking a risk with your own business brand of going, I'm going to go bet on Morpheus. And I'm going to go bet my enterprise on Morpheus or my customer's enterprise on Morpheus instead of on this other thing that might be down the common path. That's very, I mean, that's fascinating and it's always a hard decision to make. What are these things that are failing these customers? And it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean everything works everywhere. Otherwise, you just sell one product and you'd be done. What are these things right. that are failing these customers and why is it failing them that Morpheus has to solve it? Okay, sure. Uh, so I think that varies depending on what we're talking about here a little, little bit. Uh, let me see if I can think of an example. Um, one thing that I think is really pivotal in the difference is that Morpheus was designed not to require this huge engineering effort to get set up in your environment. You don't need 15 VMs to get started or 53 VMs to get started. Um, you don't need to install orchestrators in different cloud environments that you want to try out. So you can kind of take it piecemeal. You can start with a little bit at a time and build that up. And I think that eliminates a little bit of the fear of how much, um, like something like if you're going all in on Cloud Foundry for your company, you've got to go all in uh, clicker. Um, you've got to install orchestrators in every single cloud you want to utilize it in. Morpheus, you don't have to do that. You just tie into their APIs and you're good to go. 
Um, so I think that effort to get started uh, reduces the fear in trying it out. And also, it's significantly cheaper than a lot of those solutions as well. Um, so that really makes it a, a great way to test it out. Go ahead. So speaking on the uh, on the subject of price, how do you guys uh, price your product? Uh, typically, it's actually priced per gigabyte of RAM. Um, and I think there's different tiers on that. We're still pretty flexible on it. It's actually about $25 per gigabyte of RAM orchestrated. It's pretty okay. interesting. So, so back to, you know, again, we're, we're coming out, we want to save money. Uh, we need to simplify. We want to have less sprawl. We want to have a, le a more diverse environment. Where are you seeing your biggest wins or takeouts? What is it against? Is it against, um, you know, the VMware products? Is it against traditional OpenStack stuff? Is it against, uh, you know, somebody who's been out in the cloud and they're finding their cost to be wrong? Or they're, you know, people who are doing a bunch of M&A and it just seems natural, just like you guys were doing? Where are these wins coming from uh, that keep your, keep your business running? Um, yeah, it's not against VMware. As a matter of fact, VMware is uh, one of the biggest uh, pieces we, uh, we orchestrate. Um, a lot of our customers are heavy VMware people. Uh, so those are big wins because we add a lot of features on top of VMware. People don't want to necessarily invest all this time moving to Amazon, but they want those features. Um, those are huge wins that we actually get a lot of times. Um, for example, for VMware, we add CloudInit on top, uh, which makes it really a lot easier to keep those templates and manage them. Um, I think from my perspective, I've mostly been focusing on the MSPs, so those are just huge wins from us right now. Um, but also our enterprise customers. Uh, we had one that actually tried several other solutions and they all failed and uh, they uh, basically called us. Our support staff typically responds within 24 hours and they basically, within 30 days, they were good to go and excited. They also are very excited. There's one thing that we do fill in that a lot of our other competing markets don't is that bare metal support, being able to actually orchestrate uh, booting up Cisco UCS-based hardware, things of that nature, and even provisioning those at Docker hosts or hypervisors. I know a pretty cool company that could use some bare metal orchestration too. So we'll, we'll call you about that in a couple of months. Um, so this is my, this is my favorite question. We put it in all the time. You know, one of my favorite things is you built your product based on a certain mindset and a certain way of doing things and a certain target. And there's always this one customer that comes out of left field and takes your product and does something super cool with it that works great. And it's solving a cool problem for them. And you never thought that that's how your pro product would be solving a problem. And maybe that has happened for you. Maybe it hasn't yet. But do you have a customer who's doing something you're like, never thought of that, but that's cool. And then the next time, of course, you're out marketing it as like a, you know, a specific feature. So is there anybody like that that's doing something cool with Morpheus? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I have run into a few of them, but I can't quite think of any of them off the top of my head at a moment. Um, but it's just kind of been a side note. It's like, oh, that's actually kind of neat. I didn't expect that. Uh, but a lot of our customers are kind of, they just go and they run with it and they disappear. I think that's the coolest part for me is there's, um, you know, something like this, you typically have to go in and do a lot of training. And we've, we've handed it off to one of our MSPs. We literally handed them the installer and the instructions. And now they've got 20-something uh, customers on it, running happy as can be. Uh, they've set up their own high availability configuration and different configurations than I even considered, actually, at the time. Uh, without any input from us. I think the coolest part is that right there when you build a product and you really it's minimal training for someone to get it and to just run with it. 
And this is a, you don't have an open source component to this product. Is that correct? Like it's not out there where somebody else could take it and it, certainly they can leverage your APIs, your API is open, but your product is not actually an open product. Correct. Uh, but we still are big open source contributors. Um, mostly you've seen a lot of my stuff from my open source world there. Um, there are a lot of tools we use that actually get back, contribu back contributions from our, our products. Uh, we actually do have some open source repositories for Morpheus, uh, mostly related to the CLI, uh, the Java SDK. Think that the add-on type features you might need to integrate it into your product. Okay. So if, if I think kind of of the whole conversation, right, some of the strengths of the Morpheus, um, ease of installation, uh, ease of consumption, uh, vast uh, kind of back-end ecosystem that it can integrate with. Um, what about some, you know, what are some Achilles heels? Are there any weaknesses that you guys are trying to improve upon um, that are that are built into your roadmap and, you know, you guys are, are shooting for uh, in the future? Yeah, I think the, the actually biggest feature that we've had requested lately is networking. Uh, uh, right now, we do rely on underlying networking infrastructure to be there. Uh, we can orchestrate it. We can, we can manage distributed switches, for example, in vCenter. But we don't do much of the cross-cloud configuration. So if you want to run vCenter and Amazon, you need to set that tunnel up in advance, and then we can. Um, that's all changing. We're starting to add uh, open vSwitch type support, vXLAN integrations, all um, out of the box. And I think that's probably our biggest Achilles heel, but it's literally a month away. Okay. Um, and and any major releases coming up uh, in the future? What What kind of version are you guys on today? I think our current version is 2.7.2. Um, so we typically release in one to two week cycles. Um, so pretty agile uh, type release cycles. That was a big one that actually featured our Hyper-V integration and uh, Azure Marketplace integration. So pretty excited about that one, major release there. Okay, cool. And, and how about some uh, competitors out there? Anybody trying to take your space away from you? Uh, you know, it's kind of come and gone. Uh, I think originally there was one called Scalar. Uh, I don't really know what happened to that one or where that one is now. Uh, Clicker is also in there, but they, as you've seen, they've recently been acquired by Cisco, I believe, as well. Uh, so we've seen those, um, but again, we, we they're great products and they do great things, but uh, we really haven't seen any that contain that full set of features um, that we have already out of the box. So it's kind of a, an interesting market right now. Okay. Cool. Um, and so I guess before I shift gears kind of out of uh, Morpheus and, and onto something a bit more industry, um, have we have we sufficiently covered, you know, the, the, the high points uh, of the product and what you guys are trying to accomplish? I think so. I think so. Okay, awesome. So kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, you, you've been a developer for quite some time. We, we, we've tackled that. Uh, but, you know, this this notion of DevOps is really really brewing it's it's it got it's reached a fever pitch i think at this point um it's kind of like the, the new cloud cloud word right now um <laughs> why do you think this this has become such a thing now are there specific um technologies or industry drivers or just really a bunch of pissed off developers that are are pushing this <laughs> you know I, I i was one of those pissed off developers uh back in past life uh yeah so i think it's a bit of both um You've got these old enterprise companies where a developer needs to get something out the door and um, IT doesn't you know, respond quick enough or they've got other things they've got to deal with in an operations perspective. So having that DevOps to be able to be that medium between the two, I think is one of the reasons it's grown up really big. And then there's also um, big, 
oh, what's the word for it? There's uh, big companies that are pushing for it and, and actually developing tools for it. HashiCorp is a great example of that. Uh, Terraform, um, Packer, Ansible, all those types of things. So, do you have integrations and, with uh, Hashi? Oh uh, yeah, actually we do. Do um, we actually do Vagrant? Uh, we actually do Ansible. As a matter of fact, all of our VM templates, like when those catalogs, if you spin up Redis on VMware on Docker, those are all the same physical templates, and they're all built with Packer and Ansible scripts. So it's great because we can just bump the version and build all six images in one shot. So yeah, we had uh, <laughs> we had Mitchell on about half a year ago, so it was a great conversation. We're big fans of HashiCorp, so glad you are too. So. Yeah. Um, so things are changing. Developers are in charge now. You're no longer angry. You're now everybody's boss, and we're all doing what you say to help you get your 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 applications out, your projects out, and serve the needs of the business. Um, what's changing in the businesses, or what do you have to do from a either a social perspective or an org structure perspective, or what do you have to do to be successful with Morpheus in your business? You know, as you support this Dev plus Ops culture. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the great things about Morpheus, because if you've got a culture that doesn't have DevOps, right, you can still use Morpheus because it's going to actually kind of be that medium between IT and development. So if you've got that kind of old monolith architecture, enterprise-y type structure, it works, but it also presents an opportunity for you to move into that. So now I can start playing with containers and microservices and things of that nature. And those types of architectures do shift a lot of responsibility and focus into a DevOps-based culture. Awesome. Great answer. So Dave, obviously it's, it's Friday afternoon. You work for two companies, Bertram and Morpheus. So we know you're busy, probably monitoring multiple emails. Uh, so we want to shut this down, but, uh, kind of want to understand, uh, uh, are you going to be doing any public speaking engagements? Uh, where can we find you next? Uh, so people can kind of learn a bit more about what, uh, what's going on with Dave and, and Morpheus. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check some of my calendars, but I think the most recent one I do know of is I will be at the Cisco Live Conference in Vegas. Um, we'll have a booth out there out in July. Okay, cool. And then what's the, what's the best way people can get a hold of you? So we're we're big on social media. So I saw you on Twitter, GitHub, uh, blog. You got some. I know Morpheus is out there on YouTube, but tell us what uh, uh, your handle is and how we can catch you out there. Yep, so you can find me on Twitter. That's probably where you can find me the easiest, uh, davy.com, uh, all spelled out, D-A-V-Y-D-O-T-C-O-M. Or uh, Morpheus also has their Twitter handle, which I think is Go Morpheus. Um, it's that or Morpheus Data. They just changed it. Let me check real quick. Yeah, while he looks, we're... Uh, it's Morpheus Data. So at Morpheus Data. And if you, if you go find that YouTube that Brent mentioned, we're huge fans of it. The Morpheus Minutes were super cool. It was a really neat, uh, really neat channel and... Uh, we learned a lot from it. It's a pretty easy way to consume. So, uh, oh, great! It's great feedback. Thank yeah. you, Brent. Go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and the final question for you, Dave. Um, any any reading suggestions? Right. So we all want to figure out how guys like you became so smart and are staying smart and ahead of the curve. So books, websites, and it can be uh, maybe not even industry context. Maybe what's the thing that you're reading right now on your Kindle or uh, that that latest new Kindle, the Oasis. <laughs> uh, you know, nowadays it's mostly just internet articles. Uh, just find 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 something you're passionate about and stick to trying new things out. Don't just say I want to learn uh, Rails and stick with that. Uh, go try new frameworks out. I try to try those out at least once a month and and learn new things and garner some insights from the thought processes of what those people did. Okay, awesome. Well, great advice, Dave. I appreciate it. So uh, for all of our listeners out there, we're going to close down the hot out today, but we encourage you to get social with us, 
Let us know how you like the episodes uh, and let us know what you want to hear in the future. Uh, we're, we're always sourcing and trying to find the latest and greatest things. But, uh, you know, hey, we're only as good as, as uh, just Brian and I are. So if we've got our 10,000 listeners and let's push it to 100,000, right? Let's uh, let's get your feedback and we'll make this thing uh, even better than it already is. So um, with that, let's shut down the hot aisle for today. My name is Brent Piotti. And I'm Brian Carpenter. And David, thank you for being on today. We appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me.